0: So everyone in here has probably had the experience at one time or another of going through the drive-thru and grabbing your bag of food. And as you place your bag down, maybe in the passenger seat or on the, the, the console in between you, you look down and you catch a glimpse of uh, those golden brown crispy french fries just begging to be consumed. You can kind of smell them as it wafts up when you kind of set that bag down. So uh, before you've even finished rolling up the window as you're starting to pull out of the drive-thru, you snatch one of those babies, you throw it in, and you realize something immediately is missing. Okay? What is it? They were cooked perfectly, but there's very one very important thing that was omitted that could ruin the entire thing. They forgot the salt. <laughs> or maybe you won't admit that you actually do uh, love McDonald's french fries as much as I do. And we'll use another analogy. Okay. Recently in, in the area, many of us, uh, we lost power and some of us lost it for quite a time. And because we're so dependent upon power, uh, we've built our lives around it. And in some ways kind of even defied the natural order of light. It gets dark and we say, okay. And we click on our lights with just the flick of a switch. So uh, when evening comes, that's all we really have to do is just kind of turn the light on. But it only takes about 15 minutes in the old order of things when the power goes out to to realize quickly how much we've depended upon uh, artificial light. Right, Where we don't have light, it gets really, really dark really fast. And then then if we don't have the, the tricks of the old world like candles when the power goes out, we realize how dark dark really is, okay? It gets really, really dark and you kind of get this uneasy feeling about it, okay? We need light to do things, okay? So I use these examples because this is the way that Jesus speaks about our presence in the world, salt and light, okay? So if you would turn in your Bibles again to Matthew chapter five, we're gonna look at just a couple verses, Matthew chapter five, verses 13 through 16, as we read about how Jesus tells us what the church is, and how we are to relate to the world, okay? Chapter 5, verses 13 through 11. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to them this morning, church. This is Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? The word of God for his people. Let us pray. Fathers, we come to your word. We can see already that you tell us something of who we are. We are salt and light. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning what that means. I pray that you would instruct us by the power and ministry of your Holy Spirit Um to live these things out, to be turned in our hearts, and even in some ways towards repentance and faith in you and trust in the ways that you've called us to be and help us to live them out faithfully in your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So. For those of you who are note takers and outliners, um, I know we have a couple in the room, you know that I don't typically have much of an outline when I preach, but sometimes I do, and this is one of those Sundays. So if you want to take notes and you want to have somewhat of an outline, uh, I tidied this all up and and I gave some headings that I even started them all with the same letter like pastors are supposed to do. So salt and light as being will be the first thing that we're gonna look at. Then salt and light as belonging, Then salt and light as balance. And finally, salt and light as beatification. It's a big fancy word. We'll talk about it when we get there. So being, belonging, balance, and beatification. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to as we look at this short passage is that Jesus is telling us who you are. So, church, I want you to realize that Jesus is telling you who you are. Yes, the sermon was preached thousands of years ago by Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, there were different people sitting in front of him. But guess what? The Word of God is eternal. And because it's eternal, there's still a real sense in which when Jesus preached this sermon, it's still preaching. He's still talking to you this morning. So as we listen to Jesus' words this morning, I want you to hear it as if it rolled off his tongue right now. Jesus is telling you that you are salt. You are light. Okay? And when he says this, this is a statement of being, not becoming. Okay? He's telling you who you are, not what you might become one day. He, he doesn't say you should become the salt and light of the world. He says you are the salt and the light of the world, okay? And then he warns against the uselessness of being salt and light, right? Being that what you are and then not acting like what you have been called to be. So before we say anything else, let's agree that Jesus has the right to tell us who we are. Okay, he can make statements of being about who we are, and also we are to uh, take seriously the things that he tells us to do. The statements of becoming. You are you are this, so do this. Okay, the kind of uh, you are this, therefore what? You are salt and light. Okay, what now? Okay, we'll talk about that in a moment. But there it is. Salt and light as being. That's who we are, and that's who God tells us that we are. Salt and light as belonging. Okay, we're salt. We're light. But what is the point in Jesus saying that? Okay, what, what is he getting at when he says that you are salt and light? Uh, well, notice that he doesn't just say that you are salt and light. This is usually where it stops. People will say, you're the salt and the light. Okay. But notice something that we, we often miss. It says that you are salt and light of something. You are salt and light of something. Now, when he says this, he's speaking to our belonging. Okay. Okay. We are salt of the earth. We are light of the world. We belong to our greater context. We belong to our greater culture. And our greater culture belongs to us. So what I'm getting at is that we can't always separate ourselves and say, well, that's not me. I'm not really a part of that. I'm not really an American. I kind of sidestep and I want to separate myself. That's what what I'm trying to get at is that we belong in the culture in which we've been placed in. And we have responsibilities as we belong to that culture. So we are part of it through our belonging. And we have a place in it through our being. We are what Jesus tells us that we are. So Jesus tells us who we are, salt and light, and, and where we belong. Okay? Of the earth, of the world. And as such, we can infer that the world needs us to be complete, okay? It needs us, it needs the church, it needs these people that Jesus is speaking to, who he says are salt in life. It needs us to function in step with who God created it to be, okay? Now, I know what many of you are thinking right now. God's word, the Bible says we are not of the world. I'm sure that's rolling around, and I've preached on this before, okay? I'm not going to uh, deny that Jesus says this. I've preached through John, and I've had to preach where, where Jesus says, you are not of the world. You're in the world, but you are not of the world, okay? So Jesus clearly says these things. I don't I all want to sidestep it, but I do want to take seriously what he says here, okay? He does say that you are not of the world, but he also here says... You are of the world. You are of the earth. You are salt and light of the world, and and you are placed in this world, in this context. Uh, So so we can't just pick our favorite of the two, which is often what happens, let's be honest. Uh, We we see both of these things, and I say, I like that one. Just ignore the other. So I don't want to do that this morning. What I want to do is take seriously both of these, where Jesus says these things, and bring them together to, to paint a picture of Scripture where these things somehow work together. Okay? In other places, God is speaking towards the evil of the world. That's why he says that you are not of the world. You're not of the evil part. You're, you are not of the world if by that we mean the rebellion against God the Father. You are not of that. That's not who you are. But here he is speaking in, in more of a positive and redemptive sense. Okay? He's speaking of filling the absence of the world. That, that gap where the world needs us, and that's a good thing, okay? He, he's speaking of filling in that gap that the world needs. And, and traditionally speaking, uh, when we think about this gap, this is what evil is. Now, this, to me, was revolutionary. This I don't know if it will be to you, but when we think of evil as absence of good, it really starts to change our mindset on things. Evil as the lack of something rather than something, okay? It's it's not that evil is a thing, Because if evil was a thing, uh, then God created all things, and then we have to reckon the fact that God somehow created this evil thing. You see what I'm getting at? If we start to say that some stuff is good and some stuff is evil, like things are evil, then we've run into a problem because God's created a world where there's evil and good. And then God is the author of evil, right? Pretty deep philosophical stuff, I know. But 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 what, I, what I'm trying to get at is that, rather, we believe God created all things good, and we have, through our rebellion, corrupted and hidden many of the good things through our sin. Right. In other words, we've taken things out of context. We've rearranged the stuff that God has given to us, and we have made evil by corrupting or manipulating, we might even say molesting, the stuff that God has given to us that is good. Let me give you an example. Maybe, it, maybe it's... Uh, too too much but i think it works and it's biblical but sex for example it's a good action okay Uh, but context determines its virtue right you can take that out of context and it can be a very bad thing or it can be a very very beautiful thing okay it really does determine how you use it and that's with everything okay so sin from this perspective is simply acting out of order with things it's misplaced action. It's it's being out of context with the way God created the world to be. But I don't, I don't want to belabor that point too much. What I'm just trying to, to show you is that you all know God created the world good and pronounced it good in Genesis. So we can kind of move past that, that the world is evil, because um, that's where we usually go when we think of the world. Okay. So there's a sense in which the world is good, and God has placed us in the world, and we are called to do something in that world. That, that's where we're moving towards. Okay. So next we come to salt and light as balance salt and light as balance. So, so let's return uh, for a moment to the idea that the world needs salt and light to be complete. You know no one ever complained that their food was well seasoned. No one ever complained that the room was properly lit. like you walk into a room and you're like just perfectly lit in here. like no no one, no one says that but they do complain if there's an absence of Or an overabundance of something, okay? But the the point I'm making is that when there's something out of order, we notice it and we see it and we say, that's the problem, okay? They complain when an imbalance occurs, when there's three on this side and two on this side, something's out of order. And we all kind of know that, we feel that, and the absence is the problem, okay? There's not a thing there that's evil. There's not a thing there that's a problem. There's an absence of a thing. Okay? That's what I was trying to get at. So, so when Jesus speaks of salt, he's speaking towards a seasoning of culture. Okay? Th- this means we complement, not overbear. Salt does not detract from a meal. It balances it out. Okay? It-, it surfaces the many tastes of the meal that would otherwise be unnoticed or maybe even bland. They're there already, but salt kind of brings them uh, to the surface. Ever took a bite of a raw potato it's, it's awful, right? It's awful. And yet French fries are basically a potato. Like there's not much added to it to make it into a French fry. Uh, that, that's what a fry tastes like without salt is a raw potato. It's a little softer, a little warmer. Uh, but, but the point I'm trying to make is this is the kind of difference that we as Christians should be making with our presence in the world. It should be the difference in a raw potato and a well-seasoned French fry. Maybe that's an awful analogy. But but that's just where my mind goes. Food. Uh, a culture so, so a culture that suppresses this though, that suppresses Christian contribution is like an unseasoned meal. right It's got the stuff there. it just doesn't taste that good. It could be way better. It's missing something. It, it's like a, a pitch dark room, right? It's, it's got all the stuff there, but you're probably going to bump into stuff when you walk into the room. So it's the church's job to help the, the world, the culture navigate the world that it's been placed in. Like we're all in here together. How do we work? How do we make this world seasonable, make it taste good? How do we make this world where we can actually walk around stuff and not constantly crash into things? Okay. So think of it this way. Salt, though, I've never seen salt do this, but this is the way that Jesus talks about it. He says, but if salt is nothing basically more than a rock and it's lost its saltiness and it's not doing anything, you might as well throw it out. So this is where Jesus goes. This is the way that he talks about the salt. So he basically says it's pointless to culture. If you're doing that, if you're the salt that isn't salty, you're useless. You're not helping anything. You can be salt, but you might as well be thrown underfoot is what Jesus is saying. So it should go without saying that salt uh, that has lost its saltiness is useless. Um, and that's actually what Jesus is preaching against here. Okay? He's preaching against people who by nature are salt and light but they're not acting like salt and light, right? They are this, but they're not acting like it. So he's pushing up against the Pharisees who were trying to do something that God had not called them to do. That is, be a glorious, pretty people, drawing attention to themselves and trying to get people to be more like them. Okay, where am I going with this? Well, they thought that they were the holy ones and their evangelistic tactic was basically be more like me. Guys, watch this awesome prayer. And they would pray. This is how you become holy. This is how you become godly. Uh, they would sound the trumpet before going to give to the poor. This is the way that Jesus speaks about the, the hypocrisy that they have. They, they're saying, well, we're doing all these good things. And Jesus is like, yeah, but you're, you're sounding a trumpet before you give. What are you doing? This is the, the hypocrisy that Jesus is calling out here. Uh, and, and we laugh, uh, but we still do this, church. We, we still do this in many, many ways. We don't sound a trumpet anymore. That'd be ridiculous. It's much easier to just send a tweet, right? (laughs) Same thing. I mean, we we throw these things out there. We don't glorify ourselves in long prayers anymore because we would get called out really quickly on our hypocrisy. No, we'd rather do it um, in an Instagram post that's forever long telling others how they have it wrong. And if you just look at my pretty life that I've cleaned up for this picture, well, then you can figure out how to be a real Christian. Then you can learn how to do life the real way. And you dummies, why haven't you figured it out like me? People still do this. Leaders even still do this. This isn't a rare thing. This is actually a common thing where people kind of put their stuff out there, and this is their evangelistic tactic. Look how awesome I have and all the stuff I've got. You could be holy like me. okay? Mind you, I want you to think about this. The point of salt is not actually to make the meal taste like salt. Have you ever thought about that? When you're throwing salt on there, you don't want your meal to taste like salt when you're done. It, it, the point of salt is to bring to surface the, the multiple facets of a meal and marry that all together in a bewetted feast that's that's glorious, where you're tasting all the different things in the meal. It's not to make it taste like salt. Believe it or not, you can over-salt uh, over a steak. You can make a, a steak taste gross by putting too much salt on it. Okay. Likewise, light isn't meant to be blasted in people's eyes uh, like a light beam shining straight at them. there's a reason why people put lights above us not on the floor where they're going to be shining in our eyes all the time okay a lighthouse for instance it, it illuminates the dark and reveals the hiddenness of reality maybe there's an iceberg out there maybe there's a rock in the water that you can't see but all it's doing is illuminating what is already there okay in a sense light doesn't actually change much have you thought about that before it's not something that adds any substance. Yeah, I know there's photons and all the science stuff kind of emanating out. I can't explain it all, but, but you know that you can't just reach out and grab light, right? It, it, but it makes a huge difference to the atmosphere when it's on, doesn't it? It's the difference of night and day, right? It's a night and day difference. So, so light is also meant to complement and allow things to be put in their proper place, not necessarily just add a ton of stuff, just like salt isn't meant to add a ton of stuff to the meal. It's supposed to change the dynamic to put things in its proper place and, and proper orient all that's already going on. Okay, So maybe our problem, and I say our problem, what I mean is uh, the modern church, um, and maybe just not even the modern church, just the church in general. Maybe our problem is that we don't understand what salt and light mean. We don't understand what Jesus is saying here. Maybe we think that the more salt, the better. Right? Just add more salt, and that'll be better. Add more light, and that'll be better. And we've lost, perhaps, the sense of balance and enhancement. We've, we've traded quali- or quantity for quality. Right? Just throw more on it, and it'll make it better. Americanism says bigger is better. Right? Go big or go home. But that's not exactly what Jesus is saying here. There's balance to be had, and there's a way that where we can look at what Jesus is saying, and He'll cl- clearly say that the light should be seen, and we, we think uh, that it's all about us. Okay, we can read this wrong through our American lens, and just think, well, Jesus is just saying throw more on it. Just you just need more. Okay, and I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here, but He does warn against the uselessness of salt and light. That is salt that does not add taste, light that does not uh, add illumination. That's a problem. But there is a way uh, of under and overdoing this, okay? And, and that's really what the Pharisees were doing in many ways. They were failing to season the surrounding culture and illuminate the truth for the glory of God. All glory with the Pharisees ended up back at them, okay? You, you followed a Pharisee, and at the end of it, you were a Pharisee. Okay, that's the way it works. So in a sense, they were too salty, heaping up burdens for the culture to live by. they would added to the word of God to become this especially distinct and separate people that God never actually called them to be in many ways. If you don't know about the Pharisees, they had the whole book of laws that were additional laws to keep you from breaking the laws. That became a problem with Jesus because they were going further than what God had called them to to be. So they were too bright and too wordy with their prayers. Okay? They were they were empty prayers. They were they were throwing on too much. And yet at the same time, Jesus instructs the faithful to not hide their light. Okay? How do we reconcile these things? How do we how do we not hide the light but yet also not be so in people's space to where we can still stand and shine before others like Jesus says, you don't hide it under a basket, but also not blare light on them, not salt it down to where it's just tasting like salt. Okay? We 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 got, we got to figure this out what our presence looks like in culture, okay? To where we're we're balancing out these things, to where we're honoring our Father in heaven and not bringing all glory to ourselves, and we're still somehow being seen and providing something for culture. So here's an analogy that I kind of thought up. It it might have some holes in it, but just bear with me. It'll help us understand the balance if we think of uh, kind of this picture. Imagine a dark street, Okay, this kind of people walking back and forth, and there's a dark street, and I mean dark, uh, with lots of foot traffic. And, and along the street is a, a light pole with a light at the top. Okay, but the light is off, like that. And everyone on the ground, my OCD is going nuts with that. <laughs> uh, so, so the light's off, uh, but everyone on the ground has flashlights, and they're kind of beaming it up at this light to where it looks like it's lit up right? It's, it would get even, it would, it would be lit up with all the others. Now, how helpful is that light on a stand in that analogy? What's that light doing? Is it offering anything? No, no, it's not offering anything. It's out and everyone else is pointing their lights up at it. It's absolutely useless. And yet everyone's kind of focusing in on it and it is lit up, but it's a problem because everyone else is pointing towards it. Now, suppose that light is lit up And people don't have their flashlights. How much attention do you think will be brought to that light on the pole? Nothing. No one's going to notice that pole. No one is going to notice it at all. They're not going to look at it. They're going to keep walking forward. They're not going to trip over whatever's in their way. And they're just going to keep on walking, not staring at the light the whole time. Okay? balance is restored when the light is on and all the attention isn't drawn drawn to it it is just business as usual not tripping over stuff enjoying life getting back to the the things that god has called glorious in the world so this is the difference between a pharisaical view of light and jesus's view of light okay this is the difference the pharisee pulls all attention to himself from others but actually offers nothing to culture But a faithful light shines brightly, offering the light of Christ to others and adds clarity to reality, what's already there. That's the difference. This is one. It's not the only. But this is one way that we should be looking at culture. As as we engage with culture, that's always the big question of the church. How do we engage culture? How do we participate? How How do we speak to culture? This is one of the ways that we do this. It's not our job to make the world taste like salt. Think about that. It's not our job. It's meant to bring to the surface and complement all that God has already created and molded through human creativity. He has created culture through people. And what our job is to do is to come to that and kind of baptize it, reimagine it, see what God has already provided. Like, like St. Augustine calls this uh, the, the principle of plundering the Egyptians. Okay? We're, we're, do you remember when the, the Israelites were leaving Egypt? They didn't say, oh, that's unholy stuff. And we're going to leave all of that behind. Actually, no, they plundered the Egyptians. They took their stuff and they incorporated it into their culture. So the, there's a sense in which we can baptize this. So when it comes to our witness, we need to realize that there is balance to be had, that we are not trying to just make the world look like us as individuals. We're trying to make it look like Christ. Okay. This text makes it clear that our works should be seen, I don't want to try to sidestep that at all. It says that our works should be seen, but these works must be seasonably applied to culture in such a way where we are not the ones glorified, but our Father in heaven is. It's a hard balance. It, It really is. But this is something that we are called to take seriously and to live out. When Christians are doing what they're supposed to be doing, we should have such a balanced witness that when the cultural meal is served up and we do a cultural analysis, people don't say it tastes like salt. Right? You've heard these things about like churchy people, right? It's annoying, like churchianity and uh, those kind of things, where, where we've created this like culture that is it's synthetic, it's not natural, and we kind of force it on. That's the th- kind of thing that I'm getting at here. When we are doing what we should be doing, we shouldn't have people running away from the light because it's too bright and, and pointed straight at our face. Okay? Rather, we should speak the truth in love when we talk to people, and reveal the heart of God in a situation. Show people what God actually desires of this. Yes, speak the truth. Uh, we don't sidestep the truth of things. Uh, but at the same time, we're doing it in a loving way. This means that we can see sin for what it is. Right? There's the iceberg that we don't want to hit because of the lighthouse. There's the, the rock that we don't want to crash into. But we also uh, d- d- do this in a, in a posture and a demeanor of love. Okay? We do this seasonable with seasonality. Is that a word? We do this with seasonableness. Uh, we do it in a tasteful way. That would be a better way of saying it. So we, well, this is the way that we engage. Now, remember the context here is against the Pharisees who abused the law of God. Okay, They heaped up burdens on the people that they couldn't fulfill themselves. This is the, the thing I was kind of talking about, adding to what was already there. Okay, But surprisingly, Jesus doesn't combat them by loosening up on the law. Okay. You would think that that would be his response, right? They go too far on the law, so Jesus says, Ah, just back off, guys, don't worry about it. It's not actually what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, he buckles down tighter. This will sound familiar to you. He'll, He'll say in the face of the Pharisees, You've heard it said, but I say to you. And guess which one is the more conservative view? I say to you. Jesus will say things like, You've heard it said, do not murder. But if you look at a person with hate in your eyes and in your mind, you're murdering that person, is what I say. So he, he takes it even further. And what he's really just doing is taking it from up here to right here. Okay? He, he's going to the heart of the matter. But here is how this is actually good news for sinners like you and me. As we're starting to think about the law of God and how to apply it to culture and how do we think about all this. Jesus does this to make a point through the, the Sermon on the Mount, the, the point of the Sermon on the Mount as it relates to the law of God and, and the ways that we think about the Pharisees and all of this coming together, the point is, is, you can't do it. You can't do it. That is supposed to drive you to your knees. When we read the Ten Commandments, you should not finish and say, whew, I've got that all down. That That is the wrong way to read the Ten Commandments. But that is how the Pharisees were starting to read it. They were starting to read it as something that they could do, a, a program, a, 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 a formula of rules that they might be saved by. So he says, if you want to enter the, the kingdom of God, Jesus does, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Goodness, that's, that's a pretty hard calling, right? Now, you all know the Pharisees as the legalists, right? Those who were self-righteous and too hard-lined uh, in their thinking. But in their day, they were the revered theologians. They were the pastors. They were the people writing the books. They were who everyone was looking to at the time. And they were teaching how to engage culture. And it was essentially by just being completely different. Let's just be as different as we can. And by doing that, we will therefore become more holy. Uh, but, but here's the problem. They nearly equated their holiness in society as their salvation. Okay? The less they looked like the Romans, the more saved they felt. Let's stop and think about that. The less they looked like the Romans, the more saved they felt. Let's bring this up to speed. The more conservative they stood, the more righteous they felt. Okay. The more they buckled down, the more they thought that they were being holy. So let's, let's apply this fallen condition focus to ourselves. Do we sometimes feel that the more conservative stands we make makes us more holy before God? I've felt that way before. Are we drawn towards well-seasoned people who, yes, speak the truth, but not really in love? Like where we want one, but not the other, where we, yeah, I want the truth, and I want to shove it down your throat, okay? That, that tends to be where many conservatives lean, and I, I say that speaking to myself, okay? In, in other words, we have chosen uh, salty people as our leaders rather than salt people, right? We, we prefer the salty people, and there's a difference. Salty people make culture taste like salt. Salt and light people season the culture by adding just the right amount of taste and illumination to put things in their balance, where order is restored. Okay, This is what we are being called to when we are being called to be salt and light. And finally, this will be the shortest one, salt and light as beatification. It's a big fancy word, I know. At the end of the day, what Jesus is getting at uh, that better encompasses this idea more than anything, even more than balance, is blessing. Okay, blessing. It's beatification. That's that's the context here on the Sermon on the Mount. If you look back, if you uh, if you just look even just a page back, probably it's right before our texts on what the beatitudes. The beatitude is the, the the blessings. That's another way of saying that this is the blessing. Okay, so blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the persecuted, and so on. These are the people that bless the earth, okay? They are salt and light. This is the kind of people that Jesus is calling out as salt and life. So this beatification principle, it's always been held to by the faithful. It might surprise you, but the goal of Israel was not to make the world Jewish. Have you thought about that before? The world was not called to be Jewish. If it was, then it miserably failed and Jesus didn't fulfill the life of Israel in his person. Because the world's not looking more Jewish right now. That's, that's the reality of it. Okay? Did you notice that as Christianity spread, it didn't make the world look like Judaism? Right? We're not spreading the ideas of Judaism. It made the world look more like what? Christ. Or Christ becomes the whole thing, not the law. Okay? Where we're focusing on Jesus as the person, not so much a way of living and rules to live by. Okay? So assault and life beatification to culture will work something like punctuation in a story. No punctuation makes a story unreadable. Like if you don't have any commas, you don't have any exclamation points, you don't have any of that, it's incoherent. You can't even read it. However, too much punctuation is distracting and out of place. Commas in places where they shouldn't be, um, it's distracting. My wife will tell you, if you read my papers, it's hard to read them because I put too many commas in them and I don't know where they go, right? It's distracting, but here, listen to this. A well-punctuated story though, has no attention brought to the punctuation. Think about that. All attention is to the overall story. That's the way a perfectly punctuated sentence should go. It's hypothetically invisible if it's doing its job, okay? which is keeping your attention on the essence of the story, the greater narrative that's at play. Okay? You can see now how this starts to bring back to God's story, His story, His story, where glory is being brought to this overarching plan where God has made something good and we're redeeming the goodness of it, not always just talking about how holy and awesome we are, but actually bringing glory to God through the things that He's actually given to us by putting them in their proper place. Balance, that kind of thing. And this is how our presence should be in culture. Salt and light. We should not be the point, but we should be present enough to where we're not accused of being tasteless. Right? This is what Jesus is calling out. We shouldn't be tasteless. We should be shining our light and never being accused of hiding our light. So we're not to be passive either. That's, that's not the goal. It's to be the perfect balance of bringing light that's not shining up from the floor right in your eyes. It's the perfect balance of salt that's not making it taste just like salt. Okay? But at the same time, our works should be glorifying our Father in heaven, His story in the world. It's not all about our story. Our story is just a small part of the bigger story. And if it's all focused on you and not fitting into the greater narrative of, of the gospel, you're missing it. Right? If you're making it all about you, you are missing it. God and his gospel story working through our lives is a part of his glory, but one person never fully embodies the full radiance of God's glory. Okay, That only happens in a community of people, in a body of believers, in humanity reflecting God in his image. It takes all of that coming together. Uh, but if you think about that, everyone falls short when they're on their own plane on their own uh, on their own standing as a, an island but there is one person there is one person who if you put him apart he can be said to be the ideal image of all that perfectly reflects the radiance of the glory of God okay because we can all say we might in some degree but our goal is to kind of point back to the gospel and point back to Christ but Christ himself He is the full radiance of the gospel. He is where it is all exhibited. And he is the one who who didn't abolish the law and throw it out as the liberals would like, nor did he overburden the people with laws as the conservatives would like. Rather, he fulfilled the law, which is the good news for me and you. He did what we couldn't do so that we might be able to walk forward in freedom as Christians to to baptize culture, complement the full range of humanity, working out the image of God. Said in short, Jesus is the light of the world. That's what Jesus says who he is. He is the one that is ultimately going to do his work. And it's only going to happen through us, but it's still yet, it's not about us. It's about Jesus being the light that you shine to others, to where they can see our good Father in heaven and give glory to him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you who is the true light. We pray that you would work through us as we stand in awe of your goodness and your light. We pray that you would help us to turn away from our darkness. We pray that we would turn away from the ways that we have become useless, the ways that we have got in the way of you working out your kingdom here on earth. Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow your kingdom through us, that you would use us as your kingdom expands, that it might cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Lord, we want your glory so that you would continue to do that through us. We ask it in Jesus' name.